little bit of uh, housekeeping. Uh, one, after the service, if you've read in your bulletin and you saw walking in, we are going to be packing around 100 or so luncheon, lunch, lunches for children living in Clarkston. You know of our relationship with the city of Clarkston, lots of refugees there. And uh, there's a, a one specific apartment complex uh, with kids who are really in need during this Christmas break where they're not receiving meals at school. So uh, if you want to stick around, help pack a few lunches, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, uh, those of you uh, are participants at our church, we have this thing we call community prayer, and that will be happening after uh, the sermon. And I'd like to uh, uh, prompt you with that, because sometimes uh, when you're put on the spot, uh, you might not feel so compelled to stand and share a prayer concern. But if something's going on, maybe something surfaces from the message and you'd like, you could go ahead and uh, share that, and we would love to be praying for you. Uh, question, I know we still have some kids in the room. Uh, anybody receive a really great Christmas? Parents, adults, you can raise your hand too. Any, you receive any really great gifts? It's very sad, okay? Okay, uh, all right. Anybody like to share what they received? Sam, come on. Sam got a DeMarini baseball bat. I know because I uh, suggested it as a gift. Um, but uh, let me tell you that uh, I received half of a rug. Miriam received the other half, and I have the other half. She thought that that would be a great gift, and I, every time I stand on it, I just think, I am so thankful to have my half of this rug. So much so, I won't let her stand on my half of the rug. Maybe you do a quick inventory of great gifts that you receive, you have received over your lifetime. Maybe something, an image is popping in your head. Well, uh, I had to borrow this from my son, but when I was 12 years old, this was the gift I received. Unloaded as it is now, a Red Rider BB gun, right? Only difference though, I received the deluxe model. I, Apologize, Connor, but mine had the, the compass in the stock, right? North, west, east, south. I said that weird. Um, and it had a, a sundial where you could put a stick in there and get the shadow and figure out what time it was. I, I never could figure it out, but it felt awesome. And uh, so I was around 12 years old, and I had this, this Red Rider BB gun. And I, had a, I was 12, so my brother was 8 years old. And sometimes my parents weren't home. And uh, I'd go find it, and we'd go, one time we were outside and we were shooting stuff in the backyard, it was fenced, and we were shooting stuff, I'd give my brother opportunities to shoot things as well, and then, and then we heard this really wonderful noise, it was um, Denise and her, and her little sister playing outside in their front yard. And so we just thought, I wonder what they're doing, right? And so I decided that we'd look through the little knot hole in the fence, and we go, there's Denise and her sister, Debbie. And I don't know, it was a strange kind of moment that came upon me, but I just thought, I wonder if, there's, if the barrel of the Red Rider could somehow fit into the notch in that fence, and strange enough, it did. And, and it, it had just enough room where the sights could fit in there as well, and I pulled the trigger and shot Denise in her bottom. And she yelped and uh, ran inside crying, and we thought that was really, really great fun. 
And my brother and I, we had an agreement. We, he, he understood, even though he was four years younger, that, um, that there was kind of the bro code, like no concern of him ratting me out. Well, fast forward like two more weeks, and then mom and dad again are not home, and it's raining outside, but the compulsion came upon me again, and so I, I grabbed up the Red Rider BB gun, and I didn't want to get it wet, so we just started shooting stuff inside the house. And eventually that loses its fun, and so I thought, I saw Denise in pain, but really, how much pain did that generate? And so I shot my brother in the foot. Now, he was wearing shoes. I was being safe about it, right? And my brother lost his mind, and instantly I knew that things were going to go very badly. I began to negotiate bargain the number of baseball cards I was willing to give him, he would have none of it. Soon as mom comes home, she then loses her mind. Dad comes home, it was like everybody losing their mind. And I'm like, all I did was shoot him in the foot. <laughs> and so my consequence was um, two full weeks being grounded. And what grounded meant in my family meant, like I was banished to my bedroom. This was during summer break. Banished to my bedroom unless we are eating a meal together. And the kicker was that second week of, of, the, of the punishment, I was slated to fly to Arizona from Northern California to go spend a week in Arizona with my grandmother. And that trip was yanked out from underneath me. So that first week, I'm in my room, bored as you, know, as you can imagine, and so the only thing I could think to do was I read the entire Little House on the Prairie books. I'm not proud of it to this day, but I read them all. And then that Saturday before, I was gonna, uh, uh, before that Sunday, parents came in the room, brought a bag, and said, we didn't cancel your flight. Go ahead and pack your bag. We're going to allow you to go visit Grandma in Arizona. This, for me as a 12-year-old, uh, was my introduction to grace in a tangible way, receiving something awesome that I did not deserve, vacation with grandma. Well, us Christians, we are quick to talk about grace, but do we understand what it is? Do we practice grace? Are we a people that are defined by it? We're going to read Ephesians 2 here in a moment because I believe this passage uh, will shed some light on grace and its significance for us as followers of Jesus. But before I read, I want to provide just a little bit of context. Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell. Paul has been imprisoned for preaching about Jesus, for preaching about this message of grace. And so, from his jail cell, where you might think he could be bitter, instead, he chooses to continue emphasizing the priority of grace as the pathway to faith and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we're going to pick up Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. And I apologize, in your bulletin, uh, it, it stops at verse 8, but on the screen it will have the entire passage. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. My water's not there. We'll, we'll press on. So what do we learn about grace from these verses? The Apostle Paul, as I said, who is the author, gives us a blueprint. All we have to do is just ask a few questions of the text. And what I'm about to go through might seem remedial for, for many of us, but I think this will provide a needed refresher course as we enter the new year. So a couple questions to ask of the text, and then kind of connect these responses to the passage. Who gives it? Who gives grace? Verse 4 and 8 says this, God gives grace as a free gift, and this gift leads us to complete, whole, shalom life. And what is it? What is grace? Grace is getting what we do not deserve, verses 5 and 8 tells us, which is forgiveness, a relationship with God, this abundant whole life. And why does God give it? Verse 4 tells us it's because of his great love for us. This is nothing new for most of us. He gives it because our transgressions have killed our relationship with God. All of our wrongdoings, misbehavior, disobedience, lapses in judgment, indiscretions, failures, mistakes, our sinfulness, however you want to label it, these have severed our relationship with God. Verse 5 says that this is our human condition. Why does God give it? Give us this grace because God is a merciful God. We do not get the punishment we deserve. This is the essence of grace. Max Lucado writes, a happy saint is one who is at the same time aware of the severity of sin and the immensity of grace. Sin is not diminished, nor is God's ability to forgive it. A couple more questions of the text. How do we get this grace? Verse 8 says that it is through faith that we acknowledge our need for grace and believe that God is the one who is the provider of it. Verse 8 and 9 says that we do not earn or work for grace, but it is the gift that can only be received in an act of humility and faith. And the last question we ask of the text is this. What happens when we have it, when we have received it? Verse 10 says that grace begins to change us. We slowly become more like 
Jesus. Good works and doing good becomes a reflection of our gratitude towards God for the gift of grace he has given. Because grace is a game changer. When we receive grace freely, we begin to live completely. Grace is the lifeline God extends to broken, sinful, and hurting people like you and me. Again, Max Lucado writes, guilt sucks the life out of our souls. Grace restores them. Grace is given, but it must be received. Grace is free, but it isn't cheap. And sadly, many of us misconstrue or misuse the grace we have been offered because we do not understand it as God intended it to be. And so I want to name some of the ways that we interact with great grace, some different buckets. And my guess is you may have interacted at different times of your faith journey with one of these buckets in different ways. But I'm just going to work through them here. The first bucket is this, grace rejected. Grace is rejected by those who do not agree with Paul's assessment that we are dead in our transgressions, as verse 5 points out. Those who reject grace do not see their need for a Savior. When the bread and the cup of communion are offered, they refuse it because they simply don't see their need for it. These people often see themselves as self-made, fiercely independent, and capable of doing life on their own. C.S. Lewis defines this as the only unforgivable sin, the sin of pride, the belief that we are our own savior, kings of our own kingdom. The next bucket is grace abused. Grace abused. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls this cheap grace. He writes, cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It is the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. It is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Bonhoeffer believed authentic grace was costly grace. Costly because it calls us to discipleship, it condemns sinful behavior and asks us to put the needs of others above our own needs and our own desires. It is costly because it was costly to God, as we see expressed in the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. Those are the first two buckets. The third bu bucket is this, grace earned. And I think that this is the most common bucket that we, even as followers of Jesus, that we, we interact with this bucket a lot. Grace earned. My wife and I gave our daughter a gift for no reason a couple years ago, just out of the blue, during a school year, just something that we knew that she wanted, and we decided we we're going to give her this gift. And what did she want to know? She wanted to know what she had done to deserve it. What action in me did I do to deserve this out-of-the-blue gift? Because free gifts, like for my daughter, the same is true for us, they make us uncomfortable. 
And we don't like feeling in debt. We want to feel like we have earned everything that we have received. So we try to earn it, what was given to us freely. We want to feel like we deserve it. Well, I want to illustrate how many of us try to earn God's grace. I'm going to have a series of a couple images that hopefully will move us from one understanding to, I believe, a fuller, healthier understanding of God's grace. The first image should be behind me. There it is. We believe this, this myth, that to receive grace, I must be a good person, do good things. I must believe the right things. Maybe I must go to church and pray and read the Bible. And maybe you could add a host of other, th- a host of other tiers in there. And once I've done, accomplished all these things, then grace is available to me. Well, that's not what the passage says. The passage says that that is entirely wrong. And so the next bucket, the important bucket for us to grasp, and the bucket where we should spend the most of our time swimming in, is grace received. I want you to see this next image. We flip the paradigm on its head. When we receive grace, fir- when we receive grace first, our hearts then desire possibly, to pray or read the scriptures. Maybe it's to then be in community, to to be a part of a church body, to begin believing certain things that 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 community of people believes in, that their theology. And then maybe something starts to happen and, and we want to be better people, do good things. We don't need to worry about using up too much grace. In an interview, Dallas Willard once said, The sinner is not the one who uses a lot of grace. The saint uses more grace. The saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. We're not running out of grace. There's a lot of it, so we can use it. And when we start using grace, as Dallas Willard describes, we begin to experience the last bucket. Grace lived. And I have this last image for you. When we receive grace freely, we begin to live completely. And that all of life, then we begin to see, it is all grace. It is all a gift. There is no longer any tears to work through. It's just all grace. That's it. And so I want to close with a story about a woman named Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel. Uh, Mary Johnson's son was murdered by O'Shea Israel, and O'Shea was then sentenced to 25 years prison sentence, of which he spent 17 years locked away. Mary said that her lack of being able to forgive O'Shea was like a cancer eating her from the inside out impacting her life negatively in every conceivable way. And at some point, she decided that she wanted to visit O'Shea in prison. And after several visits, not just one, she then developed a desire to forgive him, which she did while he was in prison. And in an interview, Mary confessed that her own healing did not 
fully begun until she forgave Israel, O'Shea Israel. And when released from prison, O'Shea needed to find a place to live. Not easy, as you can imagine, for a convicted felon. Mary intervened on his behalf and told her landlord it would be okay to allow him to move into her apartment complex. So I want you to take a look at this picture behind me. I cannot imagine a greater, more significant picture of grace. Well, you see, grace, it's a game changer. Grace rooted in God's love is the only power on earth that can heal, restore, repair, absolve, reconcile, rebuild, release, and forgive. And so now let me ask you, could you use a little more grace in your own lives? Do you have a relationship where a little grace is needed or required for it to move on? Sit there with that for a second. Could you use a little more grace? So one simple action step. Uh, in our family, as we receive birthday gifts or Christmas gifts, uh, we go through the painstaking process of asking our children to write thank you notes, right? This is a miserable experience. Um, but in the end, after leveraging something significant, they write their thank you notes, right? And what we ask them to do is for you to name what it is that you received, express your gratitude for what you've received, and if appropriate, express how you might be, how you're going to use that item, right? The three basic components of a good thank you letter. Well, I want you to do something similar, similarly, similarly, similar. You get the idea. <laughs> Sometime this week, I want you to write God a thank you note to acknowledge you have received his generous gift of grace and let him know specifically how you feel about this gift. And if you're holding on to some transgressions, as Paul likes to call them, let God know what you're struggling with, what's getting in the way. This is simply called confession. And in your thank you note, tell God what you plan to do with his grace. Tell God how you plan to use it in your life. Activate it in the world around you. That's your assignment for this week. And in close, closing, I want us to ponder this final question. What if we were a community defined and rooted in grace? Us, right here. That when people from the outside looked in, they were like, oh yeah, grace seems to be a characteristic that drives them. A people who express in our lives, our actions, this grace upon grace upon grace. I think this. I think we would be a community that act as the conduit of God's grace and love to a broken people. Broken friendships, broken families, broken marriages. 
we would become active participants and a lifeline of God's healing and redemption in the world. And the first step towards receiving God's grace is acknowledging it has been given as a free gift. Because when we receive grace freely, we begin to live completely. Grace upon grace. Let's pray together. Father, a good word, Paul's words reminding us, helping us to orient our lives around what he was imprisoned for, uh, from which many of the early Christians were persecuted for. And so, Lord, as we enter this natural space, reflecting on this previous year with hopes of 2019 and what, may be, what will become before us, Lord, would we be a people who are anchored in grace, grace upon grace. Would you do a significant work in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.